Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to another episode of Everything is Personal. And today we have a special guest with us, Mr. Patrick O'Boyle, who is the CEO of Dama Financial. Thanks, Patrick, for joining us. I appreciate the invite, Len. Um, so before we got, get into you know uh, what you do today, I kind of want to get sort of uh, a, a history of uh, uh, your background and sort of where you uh, a little bit more about you as as an individual. So, uh, what part of the country did you grow up in? Oh, great! Uh, so I'll go way back. So I'm Northeast originally, uh, New York, Long Island area. Uh, grew up there to just starting high school, and that's when uh, we were forced to move to the Dallas area. So quite quite a culture shock in the yeah. '80s, going from New York to Dallas, and that was uh, right when a bunch of uh, Northeasterners were starting to move down there. So it was an interesting uh, interesting time. Finished out high school there in Dallas. Always thought I'd go back up Northeast to go to school. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dad looked at in-state tuition compared to where some of the Boston College, Boston University I wanted to go to. And he said, you'll be going in-state. So I <laughs> stayed in Texas. Happy I did. Went to Texas A&M. Met my uh, lovely wife of 30 years there. And mm-hmm. uh, actually was an unusual major. I was a, a, an electrical engineering major. I say unusual because and uh, didn't follow that path. Uh, graduated as an electrical engineer. But went right into one of the big five consulting and auditing firms, and uh, kind of that paved my way towards uh, learning a lot about business, a lot about uh, systems development, and uh, anyway, eventually got the itch for entrepreneurialism. Let, let's me. let's go back before we get into all that because I, I really want to focus on uh, you know your journey because I, I'm yeah. a I, I was a big six guy at okay. PW. Yeah, uh, prior to that, you're you're an Accenture guy, correct? I was an Accenture guy, yeah. 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 Anderson okay. Consulting, Accenture yeah. guy, yeah. 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 So yeah. We'll, we'll get we'll get into that. We'll compare notes. Uh, yeah. I was a I was it was it was a brutal time in my life. Like looking back at it, there, I learned so much, but man, that was so brutal. Uh, working at, at eighty hour weeks and all that. I mean, for eighty hundred hours, it was insane. Yeah, you were in the management consulting side, not in the audit side, right? Correct. Yeah, me too. So, um, so going back, family wise, mm-hmm. I'm just trying to get the dynamic. Yeah, uh, you're you're a New Yorker. Was there? Were you following like New York sports teams and all that stuff? I huge. Grew up an enormous right. Yankees fan, and um, you know, I always had a soft spot for the Jets, but the Giants were mine. Okay. Um, I wanted to love the Islanders because they actually had a place right out by us, but I just never got the hockey itch. So it was all football and uh, and baseball. All right. So you're moving to Dallas and uh-huh. you're a Giants fan uh, with an affinity for the Jets. And now you're in Dallas country. And like, think about that time with <laughs> Dallas. That's when they were Aikman, right? Yeah, Emmett Smith, right? Uh, yeah. um, uh, oh, gosh, I can't believe I forgot. Uh, Michael Irvin. Yeah. Uh, right? I mean, it was miserable. It was terrible. They were winning every. I know. Well, I, I'm an I'm an Eagles fan, so I mean, that's that's uh, you know that, that was our biggest rivalry too. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. how? So did they convert you over to being a Dallas fan? Yeah. No, the, the 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 hatred was entrenched even more. I mean, I stayed a Jets fan. Or I'm sorry. Gosh, I can't believe I said that. 
uh, a, a Giants fan all the way through until, and we'll get there. I got to Kansas City, which is where I am now, and I and I'm not just Kansas City bandwagon. I moved here and decided I needed a team that I would actually root for that was in the city I'm living in. So adopted them long, long ago. Got it. Uh, so I, I mean, what was such an interesting dynamic? It's like you're moving as uh, you know in your late teens. You're right. uh, you've established friendships, you've established community, and now you're moving into Dallas, which is like uh, completely different than being in in uh, going Long back Island. in time back then. Literally, felt like I was going back in time. Right? Uh, did you? Uh, so, were your parents together? Do you have siblings? Yeah. No, uh, my parents were together. My dad was a blue collar worker for American Airlines and flight operations. And uh, they transferred to Dallas area from New York. So he commuted for quite a few years uh, between Dallas and New York, trying to make it work so that I could finish high school and just couldn't couldn't handle it after after a while. So we moved down there. Um, I have two siblings. Um considerably older i guess in a psychology sense it would be i was kind of an only child from a standpoint of my sisters 10 years older and my brother's eight years older so they were long gone out of the house by the time you know i was gosh but late late grade school they were pretty much out of the house so right and they both went far away to school so so you got all the attention from your parents and uh, uh why you okay so when you were when you were a kid and you're in in high school and all that yeah you said you went for electrical engineering were you the the kind of guy that would just like tinker with stuff were you handy like what was the what what did you want to do yeah no it's 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 great question thinking back what i wanted to do what i really wanted to do was uh fly fighter jets i always thought i would be in the military i always thought and i uh, I, I always say it's one of my biggest regrets that I never did pursue. I, I went down the path uh, to the Air Force Academy, and then my eyes started to go bad when I was uh, 17, started to get a little blurry, a little stigmatism, and that was a weed out for a fighter. So they were honest with me and said, look, we'll still let you go this route and come in. And it's like I lost interest. It's like I'm not, I don't, I want to fly jets. That's what I want to do. So that's when I said, all right, well, I do like tinkering. I can't imagine just being in it at the time. I didn't grow up with my old man being a, uh, a businessman, right? He was, he did flight operations, but he was, he was a mechanic at heart. He was always working on cars, always, he was a carpenter, always working. So yeah, let me get involved with that. Hindsight, you know, I love where my careers brought me to where I am because doubly was, wonky enough to drive me out of it and i didn't stay in it if i would have went like a mechanical engineering i might have stayed in engineering but it was so abstract and electrical it, it, it all i knew is by the time i was graduating i was going i just don't want to do this i don't know what i want to do i just don't want to do this yeah yeah my my dad is a is a mechanical engineer right that's what he went to oh, school okay. for okay. but he ended up uh, you know, he worked half his career doing that, and then he went into uh, internet-related stuff. So he was a uh, doing web, right? So it's the same thing. But he was always the guy that was tinkering, and always right. like very. I'm, I'm all over the place. I'm more uh, artistic brain, and he's very, very kind of uh, you know structured uh, in a way. So it was a, it was an interesting growing up 
with uh, that opposite sort of mindset where I'm abstract and he's very you will love you'll love this when I was double e I got into this weird specific area of uh, uh, electromagnetic wave theory is the path I went. Semiconductors were there in chip design, and I, in my great insight, said, that's not going anywhere. <laughs> what is that? That's nothing. I'm going to go this other way, which was just the wrong decision in many ways. So. Well, that's uh, My dad actually ended up working for a very large semiconductor company, but he Maybe. wasn't doing the, the engineering part. He was doing the web, but because he understood the mechanics of it, it, it lets, that led him into his uh, career path before he retired. So, okay. Nice. Yeah. Um, so, okay, you electrical engineering and Accenture. Mm-hmm. Uh, is, was that the first uh, job out of college, basically? It was. I always said Accenture, and, and I continued this when I was there and partner in recruiting, is they did a great job of finding what I'd call the disgruntled engineering student, uh-huh. right? Because you'll learn a lot about taking complex problems, breaking them down, and making them manageable, plan the work, work the plan, really good at that. Um, and I had a great way of saying, look, you can come in and apply all of those mindset, those skills, that problem solving, and we'll teach you about leadership and we'll teach you about system design. And okay, so I'm going to be building things with code and, and architecture and infrastructure. And I'll still get to use a lot of my mindset of engineering, but not in my mind, it was being a cube working on some, uh, you know, at the time it was radar, uh, radar equipment to guide, you know, guide bombs. I was like, that just doesn't sound like something. I'm going to wake up in the morning and go, yeah, yeah I'm going to do this. So Accenture offered that path of meshing people, business, technology that really interest, interested me. So. And uh, so when I was at PW, so I was in PW, I want to say 1998 was uh, before the PW, before the merger with with Coopers. And for that time, it was SAP was like all the ERP implementation was huge on the management consulting side. So everybody was really focused on, you know, getting the, you know, Fortune 50 contracts for implementing the... uh, uh, ERP systems there, yeah. which which was so. I mean, looking back at it now, you have kids basically out of college that are you know consultants are going out to these companies and and making a home there, working those eighty hours, uh, like you mentioned. But I don't know if anything ever successfully was implemented. <laughs> they were building a lot. Back <laughs> so, the school bus up, right? Exactly. That was always the analogy. Back exactly, the school bus up. exactly, and it, and it was just. It was just interesting. So my, my job was, uh, I was working for the Global Training Center. So we were supposed to build the online training center so they don't have to send them off to boot camp mm-hmm. to learn. They can do it online, which was right. very, very early on. But so I'm kind of curious. There, there are several different paths from what I remember. In, in at that time, the big six now, I think it's four or whatever right. the, the amount of Whatever it is now. Are. I've been caught, stayed up with it. Yeah, I haven't. I haven't either. You know, I, I, that that was a moment in my life that I I put away. But right. I, like I said, I, I learned a lot. But there was there was a path on. You know, this is going to be sort of my launching pad to my future career because it looks good on yeah. your resume. Yeah. And then there was a path to say, all right, I'm going to be here and I'm going to be here for a long time to make partner. 
and I'll do the backstabbing. I'll I'll do all the things that you know right. uh, those those companies were known for back then. Uh, so, which path did you choose? Well, now you just set, set me up and said, "Did you go the back, backstabbing <laughs> path, or did you?" <laughs> that was the intent. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Thanks, I appreciate. It. No, um, I did see that there could be a career there, but I'll say I. I probably almost left, meaning entertained, had a job offer three or four times, even almost went back to school. Never could pull the trigger to do it, just always stayed, you know, always leaving the, the nest, as they used to say, was difficult, uh, that, that first job. And so I wound up staying on through making partner. And uh, almost immediately upon making partner, that's when the light bulb went off and said, this is place is not for me. So I made I made it pretty quickly. I was fortunate and made it uh, in, in just uh, just at 10 years, 10, 11 years. And uh, and then I realized this isn't letting me fulfill some of that entrepreneurial kind of uh, aspect that I, I felt like I wanted to go do something. I wanted to do something myself. So. And so what did you end up doing after that? So uh, fortunate to an extent, it was right around the, uh, you know, I remember the the y2k bubble right all the infrastructure spend before that so you know accenture much like many of the whatever it was at the time we'll just call them the big five we're going like this through the 90s right just spend 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 everyone was everyone was spending a ton of it money and then as soon as y2k came and it was that big little boop, done nothing there really all the IT infrastructure spend got cut off I was in the IT architecture group I helped lead that aspect in, in the Midwest and uh, for our telecom industry specifically at the time. And so it was, hey, do you want to move to Mumbai? Or and I said, well, what's option two? They said, well, we're going to close down this office. And I said, fantastic, I'll take it. So um, took a uh, buyout, if you will, uh, which was they did a nice job, right? Accenture, just like all the big five, usually send you on your way very nicely because you could be a future client. Um, and uh, the great thing is that it that kind of allowed me to bootstrap the next step of my life. So, so, and that that's when you had the sort of the entrepreneurial bug and uh, started yeah. your own venture. Yeah, exactly. So, exactly. what what was that venture that you started? Yeah, so a company uh, got together with a, a business colleague of mine that also was out of century, very different skill sets. Really didn't work together at all, but we both had that same bug. Uh, and got into creating a very, I'll call it a very specialized consulting firm around the payments area, kind of taking that tried and true uh, uh, card payments, uh, 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 you know, aspect of business and kind of turned it on its head to a value added uh, uh, accounts receivable consulting uh, uh, solution that we ultimately, I would partner with uh business-focused community banks and kind of source this from them. So they would bring all their clients into our business to look for opportunities to streamline and improve how they were getting paid. Um, we're not talking you know, retail and restaurant as much as medical, uh, manufacturing, wholesale, e-commerce, right? There were complexities. You know, I think this was you know, two, early 2000s. So they didn't understand this retail card solution very much and how much they were paying 
you know, risk situations associated with it, how it integrated into their accounts receivable. So had a nice set of technologies for auditing and, and prescribing an improved solution. Then we could implement that solution. And it was a gain share with them. We'd win when they'd win. It was very successful. And the banks loved it. And banks were knocking at our door to bring our services to them. And it just took off over the years to uh, started pretty slow. Uh, uh, it took a while to, to get it going. Sometimes we, I look back and go, wow, how, how did I stay with that? But we did. I did. Uh, and we grew to about uh, 20-ish people. Uh, and then we were looking. I really wanted to take it. Uh, I wanted to take it to the next level. I didn't want to bootstrap. I talked to a few PEs. They wanted too much of the company. I uh, didn't really want to go get a loan and, and do that myself. So uh, kind of fell into an opportunity with a company that was loved what we did and said, why don't you uh, sell to us and you can come in and run this aspect nationally and grow this for us nationally. It sounded like a perfect deal. And initially it was until it wasn't. And uh, which, yeah, once you used to be in kind of a free range chicken and then you're putting a little coop gets, uh, it, it's not the same, right? So, so, so I, I want to pick your brain on this a little bit because uh, I don't care if anybody's listening. Uh, people don't even worry. This is for me because yeah. I'm I'm in the middle of something very similar with my company right now. Okay. okay. Uh, we're, we're looking, uh, you know, we're, we're raising our uh, next series uh, of funding, but okay. also I have some opportunities for like M&A opportunities. Mm -hmm. And everybody who's had this conversation with me said, uh, you know, you'll come up, You'll come on board. You'll be that that person. You know, you'll run things because this is still your baby kind of thing. I, uh, there's something. In, there's a voice in the back of my head that's saying, "I can't work for other people. That's why I do what I, what I do. I've already gone down this road many times." What is it? The dynamic? Like, uh, let, let's have that conversation. You can tell me. You know, uh, what I should be expecting. So, you know, I don't know what they're bringing you in as, but unless it's the uh, CEO. Uh, you, you probably won't have the latitude you think you will, um, is what I would say. And uh, again, depending on how much you're bringing with, how much operational aspect, you know, if you come in and you're going to be in like a BD, you know, building new relationships type role, yeah, you'll be able to do that. What I've seen, and I've since learned it's very normal, you're never going to be in an operate. You're never going to have operational, kind of almost P and L responsibility. You can bring in all the P, right? bring in all the profit, bring in the opportunities. Yeah, you're never going to be a person that's going to see it and run it and and operationalize it and and be that true what you were now, right? The end end. You're responsible for the P and the L. Yeah. You're never going to have that operational piece is what I believe. I think unless, again, they bring you in and say, you're the CEO, you're in charge. Um, that, that's been, that was my experience. And after, after that, and having many conversations with others who said, yeah, that's kind of how it happens. Rarely, uh, you know, it is a very rare moment that the company being acquired, that one of the founders, if you will, yeah. are around after a couple of years. And it's not just the founder's fault. It's part of the company bringing them in. They just know you're not going to be in that role because you will always have a love for your aspect of what mm -hmm. you brought in, potentially over the love of the whole company and the focus of the whole company. So I guess I get it. 
but yeah, that makes sense. Uh, yeah, that's sort of. Uh, I'm 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 thinking through all that and seeing like kind of pros and cons, but you know, I, I'd like yeah, I'd like to see if I can uh, if I can have some oversight over some of the, those decisions. But, that would be key. Get it contractually put in there, right? <laughs> no, thank you for that. So uh, you had that, you know, merger acquisition, whatever it was, and, the, mm-hmm. and then you saw that, you know, sort of the writings on the wall, that the, the itch is coming back. Yeah. What, what was next? No, you're, you're exactly right. The itch was coming back. I was, I, I loved the team I worked with, and I'm not just saying I really did. Uh, I, I, I enjoyed what I was doing, but I wanted to do more. Um, you know, and usually when you start thinking that, and yeah, I even start toying with, well, I'm not done. There's no way I'm done. So, but what am I going to do? What do I want to do? I can't go do what I was doing because I had, you know, uh, 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 non-competes and so forth. So I can't go compete with, with them. Uh, not that I wanted to. So, and then a call that call out of the blue that sometimes comes that you were not expecting right before Christmas of uh, uh, this past Christmas. I was literally getting ready to head out on, a, on our annual ski trip and uh, with the family and got a call from one of the key investors of Dama who said, Hey, you got a couple hours you can spend with me tomorrow? It's like, uh, Sure. What do you want to talk about? And he said, Let's just spend some time tomorrow. And I laid out what Dama was, what was going on. I, 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 Len, you probably know, I don't have a background in cannabis industry. I was pretty ignorant uh, uh, in trying to get educated and still learning, obviously. It's, it's a complicated industry, a complicated, uh, uh, it's a movement, right? So it's, mm-hmm. there's a lot there. Um, but it intrigued me very quickly in how how businesses in this industry are forced to operate. It's I was, I was talking about this a few days ago. It's like, there's this bubble world that can't use any of the normal stuff that's outside the bubble. So yeah. you got to create everything that every business normally has to operate from a, from a financial and, uh, uh, you know, corporate system perspective for the most part has to be reinvented out inside this bubble. So it was intriguing to solve this as a problem, another problem that needed solving, and then being built and operationalized. And I said, wow, this is very intriguing. So that, that so it didn't take me long. It literally about four, eh, four to six weeks of vetting and then uh, decided that, yes, this is a challenge I wanted to take on. Well, you had the payment processing background. And at that time, you were living in Kansas City, Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned so um since you you understood that there's aspects to you know the cannabis industry uh in the beginning that, that are challenging um and you you know, you know you have some of the engineering uh mindset where mm-hmm. oh well i can kind of put the pieces together and make it work on let me let me back up and just uh, to, so our audience understands what is what does dama do Yes, yeah. perfect. So everyone knows Dama well in this industry as providing the banking services and solutions. And yes, we do that. And we're very good at it. And we partner with banks to provide that. We're not a bank. We wrap our compliance, fintech, 
customer support layer around that bank to allow them to service the cannabis industry where we will do all the heavy lifting, the compliance reporting and work, uh, support even the customer with our expertise, they get the benefit of the deposits and so forth being on their on their books, which is, you know, and they get fee income. So it's great to a bank. But beyond banking, you know, Dama uh, acquired uh, about 18 months ago, uh, Growflow, a, a fantastic seed to sale solution, both retail POS and wholesale that, um, you know, we're, we're really focused on the additional build out to really target those mid-size, multi-store, you know, five to 25 store locations mm-hmm. with that vertical integration, right? That they have all the, you know, manuf- potentially grow, definitely manufacturing, uh, the distribution side of it, all of that. And we're enhancing that side of the business and also addressing this third rail of, uh, uh, you know, consumer payments, trying to make that interaction in the store more so than just cash, which we do handle and can help with uh, immensely, but trying to make that experience more like walking into a 7-Eleven or a quick trip, right? Mm-hmm. Versus, again, something in this bu- this odd bubble that has to figure all this out all over again. So Domo is that end-to-end solution provider for the middle market. Maybe it would help people, and I'm assuming a lot of people know the industry who listen to this, but a lot of people don't. Yeah. What what makes like payment processing and banking difficult in the cannabis industry? No, yeah, uh, right. So again, I usually like to use this when I'm trying to educate some of my uh, colleagues, friends that don't know the industry, right? Like I didn't six, seven, eight months ago. Um, I'm opening up. I don't care what kind of store. I'm opening up uh, the. Uh, bad analogy, but I'll say a clothing store. I'm opening up a clothing store. Um, well, first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to look around, walk into one of my corner banks. I'm going to open up my banking services, get all that, get my treasury management, all my ways I'm going to be able to electronically ACH, pay people and so forth, set up my bank portal, my banking account, all that great stuff, right? Then I'm going to turn and say, hey, you got card processing so I can accept credit cards too. Yep, going to get that merchant processing set up. Then I'm going to get online, find any of a number of uh, point of sales that are, you know, the tried and true retail point of sales. Get one of those, implement Square or something like that. Who knows? Plug it in. I'm pretty much operational at that point, right? Yeah, I got to get my accounting system and all that quick book something. Um <laughs> Can anyone in this industry do any of that? Not really, right? You can't walk into the normal uh, bank, right? Heck, you got to go find a bank, right? Yes, we're here. We can help. But, you know, you can't just walk in. You've got to do a little research, know who you can work with, know that they have the services you need. If you're multi-state, you know, can they have a footprint across multiple states? Uh, So it's more complexity. You can't go get card processing, Visa and MasterCard, Discover Amex, right? You got to find other ways to get paid. You got a heavy dependency on cash. Where else do you use cash in your life? Yeah. Right? I mean, no, no one else uses cash. It's almost like back to the future, <laughs> you know, back to the future, going backwards to where that's all there was, right? So mm-hmm. having to deal with all of that um, and get the, the solutions in place, smart safes and so forth to do that. And then they, uh, you know, from a point of sale, you can't go get the tried and trues because they won't touch it because they won't touch anything that touches the leaf because their banks won't let them do it. Mm-hmm. So 
it, that complexity of not just you're, you're, you know, you're, you're trying to grow a, a good substance and get it manufactured well and high quality and get it packaged so it's pleasing and uh, to the eye and get it labeled properly and get it delivered so it's fresh and all the stuff that's a normal, you know, grocer type thing to do. On top of that, you have all these business complexities that no one else has to deal with but this industry. Is it is the FDIC uh, like if you, if the FDIC insures the bank, then mm-hmm. automatically that bank is not able to work with a cannabis company because it's scheduled, uh, you know, one, and they can't work with anything that is uh, not currently. Drug? You know, I, I I really can't tell of a situation where it's played out, but we do provide access to FDIC insured. Uh, account. So yes, it's there. There's, there's, um, like anything in banking, right? Uh, think about banking here. There, there are, there's a reason there's not a ton of banks involved in this industry is that it's still federally illegal. And therefore there's rules about selling cannabis and cannabis related transactions, right? Mm -hmm. So that's not going away, um, without safe coming through. Um, even if they, the recent news, right? Drop it to, uh, uh, to, to, to schedule three. It still yeah. doesn't go away. It doesn't take care of those laws. We've got to get those laws off the books. That's what scares the banks. Um, so it's, it's, a uh, it's still a difficult situation for, for banks to navigate in, in how, my state says it's okay, but I'm still federally regulated. How right. can I make this work? Right. And so it keeps many of them on the sideline. Yeah, I was going to ask you about safe banking. If you can uh, kind of give a, a nutshell, what is safe banking? What is the yeah. Safe Banking Act, and uh, how will that change the industry, or or will it? So you know, and there are it's it's limited on how much it will change. It doesn't force banks to get involved, but it tries to take what was ultimately you know my terms the the coal memo. Um, and, and tries to make that more the norm, right? To try to say, hey, banks, you can get into this. It's, it's, it's okay. Um, still got all the regulatory and reporting, AML, know your customer, right? All of those aspects of filing SARS uh, at the nth degree. Mm-hmm. So none of the, the, it doesn't make it easier, but at least gives some comfort level to the banks that they're not going to get it, get shut down or overly, uh, uh, overly, uh, uh, policed by their regular regulators. So mm-hmm. it, it, it helps. It doesn't provide though a path. Again, it doesn't push the banks in to help, uh, help cannabis businesses. It doesn't address, unfortunately, Visa MasterCard doesn't force them to get involved. Right. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's a definitely a step in the right direction. It doesn't open up capital markets. It doesn't take care of, you know, 280E. The scheduling piece will that's being pushed around right now on 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 uh, at least within the administration, which is great. That would help. I think that would help greatly. Um, but safe itself, nor does the rescheduling itself totally open up and level the paying field, unless it went to schedules, you know, non-schedule yeah. completely, which I haven't heard being talked about. That would be key. Yeah, I mean, there's no reason to have a, a schedule. Be- I mean, you know, prohibition was lifted. For alcohol, and right. the, it was just lifted, and that's it. It's just no, no longer 
prohibited and let the states make those decisions. And right. Still highly regulated. Yeah. Right. And 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 that won't change. Still highly regulated, just like gun sales and tobacco, highly regulated. And for that reason, still many banks don't get into it because it's a unique skill set and unique. Right. Sure. But um, but, but to your point, having it on that schedule is is the thing that will keep even more banks out and make well, more. Yeah. This whole thing, to, since you brought up the Department of uh, uh, Health is suggesting re- rescheduling uh, cannabis from a Schedule 1 to a Schedule 3. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm just trying to really, really dig deep as much as I possibly could to read what that really means. Mm-hmm. So to me, what it actually means is that uh, it's going to be a controlled substance that is going to I mean, the pharmaceutical industry is going to benefit from immensely because they can now use this. You can prescribe it. You can do trials on it and you can combine different molecules together to make drugs that are specific for uh, a condition or or intervention. How does that specifically help the dispensaries that you are working with? I'm I'm kind of I don't see where the benefit is of schedule three. The huge benefit is it takes away again that 280E, right? Which is enormous. And hey, everyone wants healthier businesses. What, what is what is 280E? I mean, I, I just wanted my audience to understand what, yeah, what that yeah, is. So, yeah, sorry. So so unlike again that normal clothing store, I go invest and I get a bunch of things to fix my store up and make my store look great. I've got business expenses. Well, those can be deducted from the revenues that that, that I'm making, right? In the cannabis world, you have no business deductions, so you're you're taxed on the top line. So imagine trying to run a business being taxed on the top line mm-hmm. versus the bottom line. I, 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 no one can stay in business for very long that way. So so this we I don't think we should take away that that would be enormous. Yeah, that alone would be enormous. The bad thing that it does that I can tell, and again, I'm I've had some discussions with people on the inside, but I'm I'm gosh, I'm not even close to an expert at all. So, but the two things that I see that are concerning is it doesn't do anything to clean up the discrepancy between the feds and the states. Mm-hmm. Feds are still saying this is a controlled substance, yet the states, many of them, are operating like it's not, right? So so it doesn't change that dynamic. Schedule's a schedule. Uh and the unknown of what does it mean to be prescribed? But you were just talking, what does that mean, right? Mm-hmm. Is that just pivoting to give control to a whole other group now to decide how this is going to be handled, the, the pharmaceutical group? I, I don't know, right? It's just there's a lot of questions that it raises. The, there are some precedents, like uh, there is a, a category of uh, supplements called medical food products. They're, you, they're FDA controlled with FDA oversight and they had trials and all that other stuff. So there is a path to follow and it's not a single molecule path. It's a path of multiple molecules that have a specific association for supporting a specific condition. Like, you know, we, uh, a healthcare profession can say, I recommend, or I prescribe at that point, they can't prescribe now, but I recommend, you know, cannabis or a certain formulation of uh, right. uh, cannabis that will support sleep, for instance. The, so that that can be done. Now, I'm not 100% sure that what happens on the, like, 
in the dispensary? Uh, are you going in and getting flour uh, because your doctor made that recommendation? I don't think that there's a there's a disconnect. I don't think a doctor right. will ever say, hey, you know, take some Blue Dream. Well, how do you even know you're getting Blue Dream? And then, you know, take two puffs of that Blue. That's not a way that, you know, healthcare professionals work. So uh, that that there's going to be, you know, those specific products. I mentioned medical foods. There are specific products or dosed right. correctly with, and maybe, maybe that is where the industry needs to head to get out of the dark ages. And then maybe also have a craft version of that. You know, you have right. the Anheuser-Busch and then you have the your- Anheuser-Busch. I've used that analogy a yeah. lot. You know, the, yeah, the craft versus the Anheuser-Busch. Exactly. So, so yeah. who knows where this is going to go and how long it could take? You just mentioned, though, we haven't heard a word from FDA, the FDA on this, right? Yeah. The DEAs said they'd respond to the HHS and that's the, but where's the FDA? They've got to have a say in this. The, so. the FDA is always going to say the same thing. We, uh, unless you do clinical trials for specific molecules and we test number one, safety, we make sure that that product is safe. Number two, that it's efficacious. Number three, that we can scale effectively. We have no, there's nothing that we have a certain mandate that is clinical trials. Other than that, uh, they're just they'll just punt like they have been doing for forever. Right. Hemp is weird to them because now it's like, well, you can grow hemp, but it's CBD and CBD and cannabis is still Schedule One. So if that's going to move to Schedule Three, they're going to have to really address hemp, and that could be an interesting thing for the entire right. CBD market. Right. So going going back time. to, <laughs> well, well, you know the the one thing that I can say, and maybe there's a question in this. Uh, too. Maybe the purse strings from investors will loosen up uh, now because they can see that there's a little bit of a, yeah, there's, there's light at the end of this tunnel, uh, somewhere, somehow. Um, Do do you need to raise uh, money? Is that, is that part of your business plan going out and and raising funds? Yeah, I think I can say we, we are in our, uh, what better be our final round here of just uh, finalizing uh, third round that we were doing schedule C, uh, or series C, sorry. Um, and, uh, uh, looking to close that out here very, 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 very soon. Uh, can't go into much more detail, but, uh, yeah, just to, to continue the, uh, vision of the, the point of sale and where we're taking that from a integration enhancement, uh, e-commerce distribution perspective. So it's, uh, yeah, that's where we are. So, so the difficulties because you're you're not a cannabis company, right. but you're a cannabis business solution company. Right, right. Advertising. We're, we're talking about difficulties in yes, running the business, but even you have nothing to do with cannabis. Like we have nothing to do with cannabis, but you're probably even further away. Right. How do you navigate through the challenges of you know Google said you can't even we can't even post the name of our company because this is cannabis business solutions. Right. How do you deal with navigating through? Uh, so, so it's funny you bring that up. So, you know, and, and you're right. We don't, you know, and that's what we always, we don't touch the leaf. We enable those who are touching the leaf to run more efficiently, more operationally sound and give them the data and then to be able to make sound business decisions uh, uh, on top of the, the banking services. But you're right. Um, we were not able, we actually were just able to get cleared again by Google to start doing Google ads. Um, so things are softening up a bit. Um, 
I don't think it's the, the, the fear, the concern. I don't even know what it was that there was, you know, two or three years ago. So, and, 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 it, you know, we expect that'll be a, a, a very good thing here soon, uh, to be able to get that message out more, right? I, again, a lot of people don't even know Dama does more than banking because we haven't been able to get the word out there right. effectively, right. right? Now, what's mm-hmm. everyone do? They get in, they do a search right on Google. But if you're not, you know, running Google ads, you can't have it pop up. So we were able to cross that uh, that that line here and get re- approved recently, very recently, like a couple of weeks ago. So I'm anxious to see how that uh, pans out for us. But uh, yeah, it's it's just yet another this this bubble. Just think about this little yeah. bubble we're living in, right? Yeah. Now I'm it, glad you brought crazy. that up because because it, I I don't think people realize because I I get into this industry a long time ago and. It was a green rush, and I don't. Th- I think people that were coming into the green rush uh, left with a like a brown thumb, not a not a green thumb. <laughs> they, they're just like it. De- it doesn't work the same way that you believe it works. And and back in the day when it was, uh, you, you know, when when we didn't have regulations and all that stuff. Yeah, I mean, you could. The business was easy. You have a pound, you break it up, you sell it. There's profit. You have cash. I mean, they had its own challenges. But now with regulations, taxes on top of that and 280E, like you can't really operate. So I don't think states are realizing how much they're pushing things in the uh, back to the black market. Such like a that. weird, again, dichotomy of such an, you know, you look at this market and you go and this again, it intrigued me. When can you come into this A market of any kind and say, wow, it's just expanding exponentially from a state to state perspective, more and more coming online, going from maybe just medical to to uh, adult use and consumer growth continuing to go. Yet you've got these unbelievable headwinds of exhaustive uh, regulatory and even, you know, federal criminal laws sitting there right blocking you so you've got one this the, the winds are in your sail pushing you but the waves are coming back pushing you back right back yeah. again yes. so you got the winds but you got the waves coming so i, I like i like that analogy uh what would you say your management style is so i'll say a few things uh i'm, I'm very big on and I, one of the reasons i think i was brought in is for the execution mindset i'm very you know from our old big five days plan the work yeah. work the plan right? Mm -hmm. And adapt, right? So um, mine is very much a collaborative leader. I'm not a bang out directive and go do it. I I like a lot of input from my team leads and uh, from my leadership team and their team leads to, to, to understand and vet the discussions, the issues we have. But I'm really big on a business methodology that I'm, I'll plug one because I do love it. Traction EOS. I don't know if you know that methodology. I'm, no. I'm a disciple of it. I really do love it. Uh, uh, Gino Wickman. Um, fantastic. It's, it's, you'll really appreciate it coming from, uh, big five is it's nothing you didn't learn between Covey and other aspects of, of, uh, uh, uh leadership styles and, and, and management styles. But he brings it together in such a way. It's called it, 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 EOS is the entrepreneurs operating entrepreneurs operating system. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, uh, so it literally is a process from which to run your day to day. I use the analogy of 
It's to make sure we're all in the same boat, going the same direction with the same cadence of the paddles every single day, right? So, and it really does work. So I brought that with me to, to Dama, start implementing it about five, five, four to five months ago. And it's really starting to hit its stride. And it's just such a good way to stay focused. So that my management style is really built around EOS for any of your listeners that are intrigued. They should uh, read it. One of the best business book reads because it just makes such logical sense. Yeah. Thank you for saying that because I was going to ask you about, I read in an article that the, you talked about systems and that's that's the the system. Uh, in in And I know uh, Dom is further ahead than a lot of startups so you're already uh, you know on your on your series c but like if i'm if i'm starting a business as an entrepreneur maybe i already have my uh, series a like who are my important players and i don't mean like uh you know positions uh in order for me to ensure success like who's who's are my generals and before i get into the soldiers like who are the people that i need around me uh, or what type of roles or positions to help me ensure success as a CEO, of, as a leader of a company? Yeah, no, uh, great question. Again, EOS talks about this and breaks that down so easily. So I'll steal what I use from that, right? They basically break everything down into, after you have this leader, there's this, this you know, there's a visionary seat and there's a an operator, an executor seat, uh, an integrator, as they call it, Right. Uh, you can kind of play around with what the titles are of those, but take away the vision and take away that. Let's break it into the business. Come on. You've got to have that sales and marketing person, right? The person that knows what the market needs and is able to drive it out, the solution into the market, get it heard, get it seen, get it sold, get it implemented. The operations side, right? Which is once you get a customer, how do you run them? How do you care for them? How do you keep all the things going that you just sold, marketed and sold? going day to day. And then there's the finance and and controls. I kind of, they call it finance that I like to call it corporate controls. And corporate controls is everything from, yeah, accounting and finance, HR, uh, IT, security, and and uh, um, uh, uh, legal, right? Uh-huh. Legal aspect, compliance and legal. So if you're, especially in this industry, every industry has certain areas that are more important you know, not many industry, I shouldn't say every industry has need for help on legal and compliance. In this industry, you better have someone that knows compliance and legal really well, right? Because you're you're treading in waters that are gray, right? It's very gray. So you better have that, right? For your investors, you better have that. Uh, operations, again, depending on your type of business. If I'm running a retail shop, part of my operations won't be about a customer care client services unit. But if I'm doing software sales, that better be a huge aspect of my operations, right? Because it's tough to get that customer. Now I got to keep them, right? And keep them happy. So, you know, the big buckets of sales and marketing, operations, and corporate controls, I think are the big seats that you need to fill. Again, depending on what area of business you're in, those specific seats and roles of those seats, what is that person, what are the five things that person has to be accountable for every day, um, change a bit under those big umbrellas. Hopefully yeah. that helps, gives up. No, picture. that makes total sense. Uh, 
So the the operations and the finance, uh, you know, as outside the visionary or C suite roles, the sales and marketing is that also a C suite uh, position, or is that you know I'm hiring a VP of business dev or something like that? So at, at Donald, we have a, a, a CRO, and that's Aaron Ranka. Um, <laughs> I don't love the title CRO. <laughs> I, I like go to market chief, go to market uh, uh, chief of go to market. I like that better. It sounds more to me. I know what the market and my customers need, and I'm going to solve their pains. Oh, and therefore I'll have the revenue, right? Chief revenue officer just said, Hey, I'm here to make sure I get as much as I can. I just don't like the title as much, but yes, I think that that aspect of your face to the market should be a lead role. I really yeah. do. I think it should be a, a lead, a, a, an executive level role. Yeah, so, I agree. Yeah. Um, what's on the horizon for, for Dama? What's, what's next? Yeah. Uh, uh, so our big thing is, I won't call it a pivot, but again, prior to me being involved, we were primarily, we had the point of sale, we had the seed to sale solution, the wholesale solution, but we were primarily a bank and we did banking and we do banking really well. And that's still core to us. We, and again, we don't compete with banks. We enable banks, right? We help them get into this market. We'll continue to do that. The heart of us moving forward will be this point of sale, right? That this, this complete solution set, e-commerce delivery all together that really you put on top of that, the ability to, to again, provide business data for true data analytics to be able to better operationalize, streamline and grow your business. Um, that is really going to be our core focus where our, our customer we want that customer. It's not only middle, what I called middle market, multi-store, uh, vertical, but it's also for that customer that's looking to go to the next level of of growth, of stability, of becoming operationally sound. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so as the, as the market matures, I want Dama to be the solution that they're going to turn to to say that's the fully integrated, mature solution. That's where I'm moving to. So. Do you know like the background history where the name Dama came from? Is that an acronym or is that does that mean? No, oh, I didn't. Uh, uh, one of my very my board member, who's also uh, uh, was uh, co-founder of the company. Um, so it's uh, it's Chinese, I believe, Mandarin for cannabis. Dama. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So, Super cool. Yeah. Love that. yeah. And I, I didn't know that till I, I just thought it was an acronym myself. And then uh, I was meeting him down in Austin over uh, a beverage, and uh, I happened to say something. He goes, "You know where Dama? What Dama means, right?" And I'm like, "I'm kind of ignorant. I should have asked before, but no." What? And then yeah, this was this was thank God, you know, it was five five six months ago, but still, um, that's great. No, I, yeah. I didn't know that either. Um, I said it to my. It's kind of funny. I took it. Said it to my youngest, my son. I said. Do you even know? Like, hey, they were all laughing when I was, you know, because it's different. It's such a different industry, different business. But he was, I said, do you even know what that means? And he goes, yeah, it means cannabis. And I said, oh, I should have known. He's taken, well, for two, Ron, he's a kid too. Uh, he took four years of Mandarin. So oh, that's right. That's right. I was like, oh my God, I don't think that's common knowledge. But that's, he that's said, you didn't know that? I said, no. <laughs> I do now. Um, what are your personal thoughts on plant medicine? On what was that? I'm sorry. On um, plant medicine. Oh, plant medicine. Yeah. Um, 
you know, I, uh, I'm big on holistic from a standpoint. I won't say I'm educated on it at all. Lynn. I'm not, but what I will say is, you know, <laughs> when I grew up, it was pretty traditional. You got a pain you go to your doctor. You know, after a while you start going, my doctor's not doing anything for me. Right. I've got, I do a pain. I do a lot of CrossFit. I do a lot of run, uh, you know, exercise. I do a lot of activity. So as you get older, pains come and you want to try to find ways to manage the pain. I think I'm at my limit of cortisone shots <laughs> throughout my body. So I've tried different things, you know, turmeric. Uh, was something I got into, right? To try to see if that would help reduce some of the swelling without having to take one of these. I, I don't like taking uh, Advil or any of that stuff. Yeah. I mean, that's got to, you know, I did, not for any period of time, maybe a night or two. So I, I'm ignorant to it, but I, I found my, and I won't say which one it is. My wife and I go to the same uh, chiropractor who's more of a uh, active release type specialist, but uh, she had been, telling us for a while, try this uh, CBD extract oil. You'll love it. Try it. Ingest, you know, my gosh, we're on like four weeks of it. All the pain of my hip and back mm-hmm. or two. So, hey, things have been around for a long time. Yeah. And they don't, sometimes they're right in front of your face and we're waiting for something to go get, you know, manufactured and it didn't need to be. Right. So. For sure. Well, well, we'll get you to be a cannabis consumer at some point uh, as well. <laughs> um, so I want to I want to ask a couple of questions that I ask a lot of my guests on. Uh, yeah. I'm a big music uh, person, so uh, let's. Uh, I see let's Unchained. Into- I was going. Is that like Van Halen Unchained? <laughs> that is Van Halen Unchained. Yeah, <laughs> you, go. you got it. Eighty one. I, I couldn't Good call. Tell. That's Good fantastic. Yeah. I saw it and I was going to say it. And then I was like, ah, oh, maybe it's not Unchained. Maybe that's the band and I don't no, know. Them. No, okay. you it's got great. it, man. That's, Phenomenal. That's, all right. They were so my we'll... first rock and roll band. I, I was a diehard early Van Halen. Yeah, it's funny. I just went to see Metallica twice in SoFi the, the two nights. And yeah. uh, Wolfie Van Halen's band opened the, the first no night called Mammoth. Yeah, fantastic. But oh, that's he funny. Really he went did. to So he went to their old original name, Mammoth. Yep. That's yep, it. exactly. Yep, yeah, man, that's good. I that's told good. you, I, I told you, I was a, a fan. I, I was a huge Van Halen fan. Yep. So we'll 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 dive in. All right. So, what was the very first concert that you attended? I hate to say, so I probably did ten times the number of concerts my wife and I after we turned forty than I did before I was thirty. I mean, I just didn't go to many. Right. I just didn't. I've always played ball and then I got right into Accenture. We got married youngs and had kids pretty. And so I didn't have a ton. So I didn't go to a ton. The one I remember was at my first, I think so, was Van Halen uh, mm-hmm. in Dallas at uh, uh, Reunion Arena in Dallas. And uh, we were the dead last seats against the upper back wall. <laughs> You know, I was in 10th yeah. grade. <laughs> so, but uh, that was my first one. Since then, we, I love small venue and open air concerts. And we yeah. were prior to COVID when everything kind of changed and there aren't as, they're still out there and it's picking back up. But man, we would go to, oh my gosh, so many concerts. 
I so love. What, so what was the last one that you? Attended? Yeah, like uh, uh, the last one I've gotten into. Don't don't hold anything against me. I've kind of went back to my roots of A and M and really gotten back into country. Actually, of all things, my youngest, my son, uh, who's twenty years old, um, got me into country, which you wouldn't think a kid that age would be really into, especially in, in Kansas City. But anyway, but he did. But you know, prior to that, you know, Breaking Benjamin, uh, uh, a Chevelle, um, uh, gosh, you're gonna uh, uh, bring me the horizon. You know, I still love Seven Dust. I mean, even though they're loving just. Uh, that's the stuff. That's what I'm listening to and I'm yeah. working on all of that. Right. So you, you may like this question. Let, let's see. So for the next year, you have to listen to five albums. All right. You don't have to remember the name of the actual album. You can just say, you know, album by Van Hale, whatever. Mm-hmm. What would be those five albums? So for the next year, I've got to listen to the albums. I don't have to remember the name of the album. I just have to say the band. Is that Yeah, right? you can just say, uh, uh, you know, something by Van Allen or something by Pink Floyd. I don't know, whatever. Oh, for all my different moods and what I do. So I'd have to have one that would be really hardcore for my workouts. And that would be, I, I still, I just, I don't know if you know them. I love Seven Dust. And they have a little tie to Kansas City here from their lead singer. So love Seven Dust. That would be on there. I'd have to have, uh, <laughs> I'd probably have for my more mellow time doing some work, probably Rumors, Fleetwood Mac, just mm-hmm. to can't, I, mean, I, I like everybody, I watched that darn Daisy in the Six and got me back into <laughs> that. Um, I would have to say, uh, and that kind of hits my classic rock vibe enough, I may come back there again. There's going to be probably two countries, and it's definitely, I just had a concert down in Austin. And I'm a huge Eric Church fan, huge Eric Church fan, and huge Jason Aldean fan. Those were my two last ones. Mm-hmm. I like kind of that country Southern rock type feel. I got one more, mm-hmm. one more. I got to throw a, a, well, Stevie Nicks was in there a little bit. I was going to say, I got to find a woman rocker or something because I do enjoy, you know, growing up, if you would have told me, and I don't know if this would be it anymore. I, I you know, besides Van Halen, I was Pat Benatar. So, okay. <laughs> I'll just That's throw great. that out there because I got to have someone. Pat Benatar's a badass. Yeah. Okay, cool. So, uh, last question, bonus question. Please describe what your room looked like growing up. Thinking back. So, I inherited, I, 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 the only room I can remember as young, as it was not my first room. I got turned into a den. I told you my brother and sister left pretty early for college and went far away. So we took over their rooms in New York and made them into dens. Um, so I took over right away. You know, my brother was older. He was an idol of mine. So I uh, took over his room and I left much of it unchanged because I wanted to be him. Right. Yeah. So it's a lot of baseball and, and sports paraphernalia. Luckily, when he went off to college, he had to leave all of his albums. Oh, I forgot that fifth one should have been Meatloaf, by the way. That would have been it. Um, uh, Tom Petty, Damn the Torpedoes, right? He had all these albums. They all became mine. I still have them today. So he, I inherited his enormous, you remember the old 80s stereo systems and the speakers, you know, as tall as you. I mean, had yeah. those up there. Um, and it was on the uh, uh, first floor. I had, a, of all things, a parakeet and some fish up there. Uh, uh, it was just a long, skinny room, but it, and it had Yankees and, and giants all over it. So rock, no, 
Yankee, no music, no yeah. music posters. I had one, and it was Van Halen. That was the only one I remember. Then, of all things, it was God. What year did that come out? I, I and I think it was in that room. It might have been in my room in Dallas. It was the Diver Down one, just because Diver I didn't down. love that album. But the the no, it was Women and Children first. That's what. Yes, it was that. I, I remember when I was a kid. I had. Uh, the 1984 poster uh-huh. where David Lee Roth is jumping the air doing splits in the yeah. air. So I had that uh, in my, on my wall too. I'm an original first five albums guy. Uh, after that, I kind of fell off on him a little bit. Hagar's first album brought me back a little, uh, uh, or, or won me back a little bit, but I was always those first five albums. Yeah, for sure. Great stuff. Uh, so Patrick, where can people, uh, you know, find out more information about Dama, reach out to you or anything else so, you want to share? Huge on LinkedIn. Please reach out. Uh, I, I use LinkedIn a ton. I'm a little behind on some uh, invites that are out there and messages, but I'll get caught up this holiday weekend. Uh, I, I love when anyone hits me up on LinkedIn. So uh, I'd ask you to do that. That's probably the best. Consolidating websites. You go to Dama, you're just going to see a bunch about banking. You go to our GrowFlow site, you'll see it on POS. We're fourth quarter we'll pull those together a little better so uh but so start with linkedin and the whole dama story is out there sounds good Patrick, thank you so much for joining us great man i had a lot of fun i'm just glad i made the hour and i didn't get hung up on it now. <laughs> ah, we're right there <laughs> glad i enjoyed it have a great holiday weekend you thanks, too man for, thanks right. for having me on thank you Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hey friends, I'm Brandon And I'm Saba. And we are your host of the Cannabis Hangout Podcast, an educational platform to connect with the cannabis community and share personal stories while breaking the stigma of marijuana. Join us every Sunday at 7 p.m. to gain valuable insight with different perspectives from industry leaders, growers, and medical marijuana patients. This is a place to learn so much from different angles in the cannabis industry. So tune in while while we we break break it all down. down. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Joyce Gerber, the creator and host of the award-winning podcast, The Canna Mom Show. And we are on a mission to enhance the impact women have on this industry as business professionals, healthcare providers, policy advocates, caregivers, moms, by sharing and preserving their stories of love and kindness, wisdom, and hope. I am so grateful to have found my tribe of Canna podcasters right here on PodConX and look forward to our work of crushing the stigma around cannabis and caregivers and building this new industry together.